Hello! Thank you for choosing to listen to Making Sense of the Madness, the podcast that looks at what's going on and what's going wrong with mental health in the UK today. Chances are you found us through one of two ways. Either you've been badgered by our friends and family to listen to us, hi, or that badgering has been so successful that we've taken off and we've found our target audience, you, hi, person who wants to know what all this noise around mental health is about. You're desperate to get to the bottom of what the term mental health actually means. You're curious about whether our nation's mental health is getting better or getting worse. You're asking, are we taking it more seriously or just talking about it more? Well, if you're interested in these kinds of questions and more, then you've come to the right audio space. This podcast has come about through conversations between me, cheerful nobody, Rob Thorman, and my legendary mother-in-law, professional psychotherapist, Merrin Jones. From her wealth of experience, Merrin has intimate knowledge about what's happening to mental health in the UK today. And I think that what she has to say is not only fascinating, but it's also so relevant and important for all of us. It's prompted me and Merrin to put together this podcast that tells a story about mental health about how, as a society, we're tending to think about it in the wrong way, about how we're treating it in a way that's increasingly reductionist, overly simplistic, and ultimately unhelpful for all of us. But as Merrin herself will tell you throughout these episodes, this isn't about being bitter and twisted and depressing the hell out of you all. We want to tell a story that's insightful, provocative, but ultimately uplifting and inspiring. And we hope that our series makes the positive case for showing that it's possible to think about and treat our mental health in a different way. In this limited series, we're going to have a series of conversations with some incredible guests, from academics to psychotherapists to practitioners working within our NHS, within the prison service and within the private sector. In our first episode, I interview Merrin and get her to explain to us what happened to the service that she ran in South London for people with personality disorders. It's a fascinating snapshot, but it's also going to form our series' springboard into understanding how what happened to Merrin's service is reflective and indicative of what's happening all around the country. Before we dive in though, a quick bit of housekeeping. This podcast was recorded on a shoestring, mostly in my flat with Merrin over the last year. And it was all done off the bat of me believing the podcast propaganda that any old mug can make a podcast. Turns out, well, it turns out they can, but that doesn't mean that the quality is going to be at Radio 4 production standards. What I'm trying to say is, forgive us if the audio is occasionally a little patchy. We've got some incredible guests and wonderful content, so it's worth listening to, I promise. All right, housekeeping over. We hope you enjoy the episode and we hope that it helps you make some sense of the madness. Here we are. Yes. We're doing it. Finally. It's very exciting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so we we are in uh mine and Ella's flat in Camberwell, South London. Um it's a very nice sunny day. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, we're, we're opposite a primary school, so if later in the recording you hear 
shouts of screaming children. That's why. Um, Marion, do you want to share what your first impression of our flat was? Well, I think it's a lovely <laughs> flat, Rob. Do you want me to tell you the downside? <laughs> it's got a rather small toilet. That was the, that was the, that was the first thing you said, was it? You walked in, lovely flat, shame about the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have to put Vaseline on to get in there. <laughs> um, so, Marion is my mother-in-law. Very lucky. She's very lucky to have me as a son-in-law. I am. He's a perfect <laughs> fit, I have to confess. <laughs> um, so, should we tell our listeners what we're talking about in our first episode? Please do, Rob. So, in our first episode, we're going to start by breaking down some of the big questions surrounding mental health, like, what is it? And then we're going to look at what happened to Merrin's service as kind of a case study for us to understand how the treatment of mental health works or doesn't work in the NHS more generally today. We're going to look at how Merrin's service dealt with patients with personality disorders, why the NHS particularly struggles to deal with this kind of patient, and what the service's recent closure tells us about the way our society tackles mental health today. Absolutely. Are well you ready? Put, yes. Here we go. Okay, Mary, so let's start by, why don't you kind of give us a bit of an outline, a bit of a sketch of kind of, um, you know, the place, some of the places you've worked and your kind of experience in the, in the world of mental health. Okay, how long have you got, Rob? <laughs> but I'll try and keep it short. Um, I dabbled at 18 in general nursing, couldn't bear it because they didn't let you talk to anyone, you just had to be busy which obviously was against the grain for me. So I did a degree in social science, which I found fascinating. I got all politicised, feminist, blah, blah, blah. Then was lucky enough to get a job as a psychiatric nursing assistant in a therapeutic community, which was a day service. It really inspired me. And I became a social worker. I worked in lots of different settings, uh, alternative schools and then in uh, an adult mental health day centre which I absolutely loved trained as a group therapist and then uh, became really interested in child mental health as I had my own children and worked in a couple of really interesting settings there um, got into family therapies loved working in GP practices seeing families adolescents um, also worked in a university for a bit, which didn't really suit me, to convey a belt for me, um, and then ended up in a therapeutic communities, which I've loved for the last 13 years. You've bloody been around the block, mate. Oh, mate, I'm top of my game. <laughs> <laughs> but not everyone thinks so. I'm seen as, can be seen as old-fashioned, out of date, not moving with the times, bitter and twisted. Mary, exactly. No. No, okay. I totally argue against that, of course. All right. I just believe that experience should be listened to and should be used to uh, help people move forward and not just go round and round yes. in bloody cycles that don't work. All right, listen, so that sort of kind of that kind of sketch of like where, you know, where you've worked and kind of already we're kind of getting a sense of like, you know, what we want to talk about. Yes. But let's sort of let's sort of start with sort of basics for kind of our, our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, so you mentioned, you know, mental health. 
a couple of times in that. What 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 do we what what is mental health? What Ooh. what do we mean by it? I mean, I know that's the <laughs> yes, that's the that's the dynamite question. question. But let's well, let's try I mean, and give it a go. Oh God. Well, I mean, it's as wide or as narrow as you want to make it. I mean, and I think we should make it as wide as we can. You know, I think it is on so many levels. You know, you've got to to understand human distress, as I see it. Mm. One has to see how this person who is the sort of symptom of something that is going wrong um, has come to be in that place. You know, I think we have to look at the society they grow up in, the culture they grow up in, the class they're in, the gender, the sexuality, um, the religion, the, you know, economics. Poverty has a massive correlation with human distress. Um, although I must say, you know, human distress is everywhere if you scratch the surface. So that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because like one, so one of your big things, which I think is just so interesting, and kind of what you know, this a lot of a lot of what this it's going to be something that we're going to come back to a lot mm. in this podcast is this idea about whether mental health is a sort of bad label in mm. a way because mental health, um, you know, if you're suffering from, you know. Uh, depression or anything else it sort of it, it's your it pathologizes yeah. the individual yeah. it's like it's the, it's your fault you need to medicate yeah. for it whereas if we call it human distress yeah. or sorry mental distress mm. it more suggests that you've suffered a kind of trauma mm. Mm. and often if you've suffered a trauma like where's that trauma come from well your environment yeah. is that is that is that sort yeah, of yeah no absolutely and i think there's a whole spectrum isn't there between mm. a sort of um what would you call a totally healthy, happy person? Is there such a thing? Probably not. But there are people definitely who have less distress mm. um, and lucky them. Often it's mm. it's pure chance where you get born, how you're raised. You know, I mean, not total chance because hopefully your parents will have been very sensitive and good and responsive and able to be. Or top genes that's oh yeah saw. like you Rob I, you I are the perfect that's human, the, it's, but... it's, it's tough isn't it no, <laughs> yeah. but you know I get into I got into psychotherapy for sorting out my own problems you know most therapists you know do and I think that um we it's so frustrating that you know emotional health and emotional literacy is not sort of prioritized when children are growing up in mm. schools there's a lot of projects and programs that try and sort of make up for um, difficulties. You know, like even today on Radio 4, I heard someone saying, can schools make up for early deficiencies in children? Because once, you know, they get to three, mm. they're already behind. And I've seen that time and time again. You know, you can see the trajectory of a baby mm. if you're not careful. So that so that sort of I guess touches on another kind of thing which we're going to kind of keep kind of circling back to, mm. which is you know where we're at in our current state of play. You yeah. know where there's something you know you just mentioned something on Radio Four. You know it feels like mental health is something that keeps cropping up. You know, yes. and like and we're talking about it a lot. But then there's also I think and you know you've mentioned it in as mm. well with this idea of sort of going round in circles yeah. a little bit you know like now that you're you know you've sort of as it were seen it all mate yeah you know 
Well, I mean, I have. There, there is a sense of that, isn't there, in terms of like yeah. what you feel like is currently happening is like yeah. we've already tried something and we're now going back to but it. But always not with a new lessons. face, right. always yeah, with yeah. a new term, yeah. always with a new model, a new sort of acronym, yeah. um, a new manualized this. I mean, now, I mean, it it shifts and it slightly changes. But what I worry about is that because we're in this sort of neoliberal government neoliberal sort of economy and society there's a whole wish to reduce everything everything's being reduced to statistics evidence of the most limited and often fabricated sort mm. people are still fighting for their sort of uh, empires within the professions some are now being over promoted like psychology and I have lots of lovely friends who are psychologists and they, you know, don't want to kill off psychotherapy. They just want to work alongside us. Mm. But somehow the whole model is moving to let's get something quick, short term, cheaper, quick fix and manualized mm. so that we don't actually have to pay too much for people who can run them. And what I'm trying to argue is the most skilled people should be working with the most vulnerable mm. for as long as it bloody takes mm. and not fit the patient into the model mm. the model should be able to be flexible enough to meet the patient's needs now obviously you know there's massive subtleties and nuances about that it doesn't mean what i'm afraid in the nhs it's become seems to have become to mean that whatever the patient wants you give them because patients, you know, we all have an unconscious. We all don't understand ourselves totally. We all want things that give us a quick relief, but we don't really want to do the hard work often. People say they want to change. You ask anyone to change, you know, Rob, give up coffee. You know, it's like he would fall to pieces. It's, I could you do know. coffee, Mary, and cheese. Don't, oh, yeah, don't cheese, make me do it. Cheese, Actually, sorry. but I have, I've had to give up cheese. Because oh, you're yeah. blooming daughter. <laughs> I mean that that actually that is a gross mischaracterization. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> I forgot true. the sense. Hey, <laughs> but it's true that you know I'm making light of change, but change is the hardest thing to do, oh. and it's on every level. And I have been forced through traumatic change of a service that I passionately believe in, the patients passionately believed in, yeah. and it was forced on us in such a cruel and brutal way. And that's the way I feel is being reflected on what is happening to patients. Mm. I think that's such, I think that is such a good summary of what has motivated us to do this, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you you talking about the service and it's mm. I, like, I, I just think it's so fascinating because we're all, there's that, there's that universal human thing of like, can we change? Mm. And that universal human thing of, you know, we've all probably got our stuff. Mm. But then also there is this spectrum as well. And it's something that we talk about a lot, but mm. I don't know... I, I think, you know, obviously, I think I think your stories about how it works and how we actually mm. affect that change is so fascinating. Well, it's so kind of you, Rob, because in a way, you were sort of Joe Public, weren't you? But you were really yeah. enthusiastic. Probably a bit of a cut above, probably. Oh, yeah, of course, sorry. But yeah, sure. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm so grateful to you because in a way you have been the sort of um, interested other person in a world where I felt no one wanted to know. 
Except well, the people that were already now, in it. Until now, until the millions yes, of listeners. come on, revolution. Ella, Tom, <laughs> some other people yeah, probably. Yeah. No, but it's true, whenever you talk to people, they are interested. People are fascinated by our own psyches. Mm, they're mm. fascinated by relationships. They're fascinated by groups. They're fascinated by what goes on in our minds and the impact that that has on the world and the world has on us. That is what all books are about. That's, mm -hmm. you know, poetry, art, blah, blah, blah. So the final thing I want to sort of just touch on before we kind of go into, you know, un understanding, diving in a bit deeper and yeah. sort of understanding how your service works, mm. the final sort of thing I want to kind of touch on that I think we're going to, you know, we're already skirting around mm. is, you know, what, what what is therapy? You know, we, so mm. you've talked about, so you've we've got the kind of, uh, the psychiatrist who will kind of, as it is a doctor who's trained and they'll prescribe yes. drugs. And, and you're from sort of a different school, which is that there are other solutions as well. And, and yeah. what we're, we're really talking about is, is like talky solutions, aren't we? Yes. And I guess my, my question is, is like, it's, it's a load of bollocks, isn't it? Talky. <laughs> yeah, who wants to talk? Who wants to talk? We're all yeah. talking. Let's I'm talking. Am I a therapist? <laughs> what 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 makes therapy different? What 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 is therapy? Oh God, how long have you got? Ron? Yeah, well, I mean we've got well, you know the yeah. podcast, so don't feel you have to go too deep. But no, but I mean it's a fascinating question because psychotherapy is uh, um, <laughs> God, you put me on the spot. Um, it is a treatment, an approach to understanding the psyche. The world, the personality, the psychology of someone's internal world and how it relates to the external world. So there is a need. Well, there's different sorts of psychotherapies. There is ones that that don't go into one's early life so much, don't necessarily uh, show any interest in the unconscious. But my there's so that's. The ones that aren't are more like humanistic, um, person-centred, who would be more supportive talking in the here and now often. I mean, I hope that's doing it justice. Uh, there's also sort of behavioural therapists who just want to change behaviour, cognitive behavioural therapists who are tend to be psychologists who want to give you strategies that can be very helpful for things like... Um, anxiety and uh you know uh, tr uh phobias and then there's the more um psychodynamic psychotherapists and analysts who want to go deep they see it as necessary to really affect change because the unconscious stops you changing so easily i mean if it was all that simple you would say rob just stop biting your nails or whatever and you'd stop or you would get strategies, which sometimes does work. But for complicated psychological difficulties and distress, it's usually very um, new, very much more complex. It's often based on conscious and unconscious repetition of patterns that we learn early as children. And all the research is showing that, you know, on brain, psych brain science, you know, is actually confirming that the way we're raised as babies and young can change the way our brains work. So mm. how do you, you know, can you then change? Well, my sense is, yes, you can. So therapy, 
the the unifying thing about about so there's lots of different yeah. disciplines within therapy yeah but is the kind of main difference that it's the belief that with someone who's sort of professionally trained to understand sort of your maybe like what you're bringing as a distress or like patterns of thinking or yeah, yeah. like common common how di how distress or trauma mm. sort of manifests in common ways is someone who can help you through talking about it even though there's lots of different ways yeah. or like yeah. no doesn't yeah. always talking yeah. yeah but it's trying to bring some of those unconscious things yes make them more conscious yes and you might have people who use more movement or art or drama um music dance you know and and that's a, a way of adding to what you use your tools yeah because some people may find they talk and talk and nothing shifts, yeah. you know, and sometimes you can get, I mean, I've done a lot of psychodrama with some fantastic psychodramatists and what it achieves, you know, is massive. It can get really, take people by surprise in a sense. And we're going to talk, and we're gonna, in, a, in a later episode, we're going to talk about that and we're going to sort yeah. of try and break down all the different therapies yeah. a bit more. Um, okay, so I think, well, can I, can I do my, the personal Please? trainer analogy? Yes. Cause I, this is, and you can, and you can tell me if this is tail nonsense. Go on. So I, so I kind of like think that it's a bit like, so trying to think about like therapy and a bit like personal training, physiotherapy, physical exercise, where it's like some people need physiotherapy, like really urgently, like you've been in an accident, you've broken your leg or, you know, maybe even you've broken something more and you need like the road to kind of being rehabilitated is going to be like incredibly long. You're going to need lots of different people, lots of different specialists. And then you've got some people who are kind of generally fine, but you've got this twinge in your back and you kind of want to sort it out and you want, you know, it's not debilitating, but if you could sort it, it would make you a lot happier. Mm. And then you've got kind of other people who there's like not really a problem, but also it's like however fit you are having a professional saying, oh, if you went to the, if you lifted this weight in this way or when you do your yoga, you can help, you know, that those sort of pointers are really lovely and can be really helpful. And you can have good personal trainers or good, you know, good physiotherapists or whatever it is. And you can have bad ones. But that doesn't mean that if one of them is bad, the whole concept of kind of is, is nonsense. Mm. And you can also have like and, and, the, and the point is not so that you spend your whole life in the gym or your whole life training or your whole life running. But you're just trying to have a professional help you give you some pointers so that when you're not in the gym you can exercise you know in a more healthy way and it becomes more instinctual and you do it more regularly and you know even if you're the healthiest person you exercise all the time you're super fit sometimes it's really nice just to have like a sports massage or like mm. someone come in and be like hey I'm gonna work this mm. glute for you a bit mm. and I kind of just think if we can think about our physical health in that way I just feel like it's quite a nice mm. parallel for like our mental health where it's like, you know, we can have suffered a big trauma or you might have just a little niggle or mm. it's like, but having someone to help you and give you some pointers. Absolutely. That's well, what therapy's well, all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's not making light of it. It's mm. actually taking it very seriously because we all know that if you say, um, have a slight niggle in your back, but you don't deal with it, it mm. can actually it get worse. make that's it worse. So and your whole body realigns mm. to... Um, to compensate yes. and then you get all those problems from that and that's exactly what happens if you don't deal with biting your nails well exactly because then biting the nail i mean i know that some people say so what just put some nail thing on it you know but that even people will bite through that because i used to bite my nails but you know it's like 
you could say just put something on that you don't like the taste of that might work but if you still find yourself biting it and then you're drawing blood and you're biting them down to the quick and you're thinking why am i doing this and if you can be curious to me being curious about things instead of closing things down let's open things up mm. that's what psychotherapy is about yeah great that is the bottom line to mental health because if we can be curious without being threatened and without being attacked that opens up the world and i would say that often people who've got this label of personality disorder have been so threatened by the world that they often come in really closed down really aggressively defended against being curious because to them it's an attack so i think that idea of being curious is a great place to have a little quick break when we yes. come back our curious listeners <laughs> can learn a bit more about this service and about you know okay, the service that great. you run people with personality disorders sound good yeah Okay, so let's just start with why don't you tell us, um, like, what was so what was your role and your kind of uh, title for the service? My role and title was clinical service lead for the personality disorder service for Lambeth, Southwark, and Lewisham, which are three boroughs in South East London. Right, and and what is and what is clinical service lead? What is that? It sort of means that you have the overall responsibility for staff and um, the running of the place, and uh, alongside, of course, the crucial role of the consultant who has ultimate medical responsibility. So that service it used a model, it used something called a therapeutic community, right? That's sort of what it was. Well, yes. Um, I mean, we were not allowed to use that title anymore or that term oh. because it was out of, it didn't fit in with current thinking. I think a lot of therapeutic communities started to help people who were very traumatized, sometimes from the war, started off in wards. But there was a very famous one called the Henderson Hospital, which was a, a residential hospital in Sutton. And um, people with personality disorder, as it was seen, uh, came and lived there and uh, were in intensive groups all day, if someone, and it was run by the patients and staff. So, I mean, obviously the staff sort of held the boundaries, but then there was a lot of power given to um, the group the and patient what? group to sort of eliminate members if they broke rules or call emergency meetings in the middle of the night. And, and what's the thinking behind that? Because I imagine a few, I mean, I was very surprised when I learned that for the first time. And I imagine there'll be a few people listening who think the lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> you know, why are they getting control of their treatment? How, what's the thinking behind that? Oh my that? God, you mean we shouldn't have control of your treatment? How dare we? <laughs> well, yeah. go on, you know, what's no, the... but, you know, there is something about the medical model, which is I'm the expert, I tell you what to do. If you break your leg, you don't fix it, I fix it. You have to do what I say. But even within that, you know, you might choose to go and see an acupuncturist as well or whatever you might ask questions but you know it doesn't fit really with human stress so it's more like the doctor might say 
you know, you need, yeah, but it, it's like it's going to be down to me how much I do the exercises I'm giving yeah, or things exactly. like that. Exactly. Because and is it because is that I, I feel like you've told me before that the idea of a therapeutic community is 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 it's sort of to model what the real world looks yes. like well, I but mean, you've got loads of support around yes, it yes absolutely because in in a sense it's a lot of what the therapeutic communities have used is group psychotherapy mm. but group psychotherapy tends to be one group a week that you go to um, and I can ramble ecstatically about group psychotherapy for ages. Which we will. Which we will. But a therapeutic community recognises that um, people coming with difficulties and being in relationship with other people will inevitably bring their difficulties into that environment. And the staff are there to hold the boundaries, hold the space safe, so that they can't just get into a fight, you know, I mean, sometimes it happens, but you would then have consequences. And what they do is they sort of model a safe space where things get enacted, but with a purpose to then, when things are calmer, think about what happened and try and learn from it. And then when the next time you get triggered or someone says something, you try and do something a little bit different. Mm. But you don't do that very quickly. It takes time and you have to keep doing it. And the staff are there to keep helping. And then over time, other staff, other uh, patient members, community group members, also start developing more of a voice. They can relate to what the other person's doing. They can start talking to each other. They can then learn about themselves because the impact that someone has on you you learn most from people you find difficult mm. you know why does someone really wind me up you know oh that one's lovely but why do i really can't stand every time she opens her mouth i want to hit her mm. you know it's like that's really interesting can we be interested in it rather than you just go and hit her yeah, or you refuse yeah. to talk to her now, that might be what you do outside. A lot of people who come into therapeutic communities have got into fights regularly. You know, even on the way to the place, they might have had a fight with someone who touched them on the bus. What are you touching me for? You know, and then they come all wound up. But the longer they're with us, they develop a bit of trust. They develop relationships and bonds with people in the groups. They trust the staff a bit more. They can start talking about it mm. and being curious. And they might then go to an art therapy group and paint out their feelings or a scene and then have a think about it with the group. Or they might go to psychodrama and even role play it where they play the other person and realise they just knocked them as they walked past and maybe they didn't mean to hurt them mm. and they start thinking oh my god yeah you know and it really really is incredibly useful mm. and it's so important that people get time and space to do this over and over again for years okay so that so let's i think i think in a in a minute let's go and break down how that works you know but i think first We've mentioned this a number of times now. So people with personality disorders. Yes. Now, in our, in, in my very crude sort of, you know, physical health analogy, you know, the, a, a personality disorder is, is, is quite a serious trauma. Is that, you know, we're... Well, I mean, I think a lot of... It's funny, actually, because, I mean, had you ever heard of that term before you met me? 
person. I mean, actually, I think a lot of people, it is a term, but I, it's the mm. sort of thing you bandy around a lot. You know, it's oh, like, right, oh, okay. as in, you know, like, oh, God, they got bloody personality. You know, in terms of someone who might be up one day and down the next day. Mm. But obviously, I don't think that is what mm. it is. Mm. You, what, what, tell, tell me about that thing where you've got, like, neurotics, which is, like, worry. Oh, what, yeah. Tell me that. Well, I mean, the reason I think it was originally called borderline personality disorder was it was sort of seen as... There's a spectrum between neurosis and psychosis. Okay. And then in the middle is this sort of borderline personality disorder. Who? And, and hang on. So, so what's neurosis? Well, neurosis is. I mean, you know, I'm not going to give you the definitive um, explanation, but my understanding is neurosis is. We're all neurotic. We mm. all have levels of neurosis, which means things that will feel slightly awkward and difficult and make us unhappy or we might get triggered by things or you know but be a bit large, anxious about yeah, something a bit anxious a bit depressed a bit sad a bit this and i'm not minimizing because that's what a lot of people who come to therapy struggle with and they're quite serious at mm. times and then people who think I don't, i'm fine i'm getting on with the world they're they're minimal so they're but they're not losing touch with reality mm. and they are often able to sort of think about that themselves mm. with help sometimes mm. and then you get psychosis which is often seen as like the worst thing like schizophrenia some forms of bipolar um, psychotic depression that can be drug-induced psychosis as well, which is where you lose touch with reality. So I'm so I'm hallucinating. You might hallucinate. Might you might have imagining fixed voices. Beliefs, audio, yeah, and you are in your own world, and you are sort of unreachable. Yeah, and you start maybe doing very bizarre things, and that is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I used to work with people. You know, you just think, how if you've really got a voice in you all the time telling you that you are shit. Mm -hmm. that you should kill yourself, that you are horrible. And it's usually really negative, um, self-deprecating voices. Now, I'm fascinated, but I haven't had much time, but I know there are people who need, we need to do more work on psychosis, trying to understand it, because often it's triggered, you know, there's, there's a study I heard about where um, black people in this country are much higher diagnosed with psychotic illness than mm. white people. And you have to think, they, were, they did a statistical um, research program that showed that if you're black and you live in a largely white area, your risk of psychosis is much higher than if you live in a predominantly black yes. area. Now, what does that say about the world? If you grow up with racism all the time, you know, you're, you're already feeling like you're the other, you know. And I guess the reason why that's so interesting, right, is because when you when you initially gave that spectrum where you've got like neurosis, worried well, psychosis, you lost touch with reality, you can see, you can start to see how those different disciplines that we've talked about, how yes. one is doctor, give drugs, yes. one is therapy, yeah. talky, and, it's, and it is a spectrum. It is. You can see how one gravitates naturally to one side and one gravitates naturally to the other side but as you're saying there's clearly a link between them there is and that's where what the service that you were dealing with people with personality disorders who yes who sort of don't fit in is they sort of uncomfortably in the yes, middle they right? are uncomfortably in the middle and often they they used to be seen as um the diagnosis of no hope untreatable whereas to me they are the most treatable and the most capacity to change. Now, that might be wrong, but this is my experience, but I think a lot more could be done 
applying psychotherapeutic thoughts to psychotic um, behaviours because I think often there's a meaning in them, but I'm not that expert. Um, and I know that drugs can help, although I've just read a book where a lot of the figures show actually drugs give you terrible side effects, long-term health problems, and very marginally do things. But the personality disorder is in the middle. I mean, maybe that's not very helpful, but personality disorder is a very um, challenging difficulty. And, and, and I think a lot of people hate having that diagnosis because it's like a, a damning of your whole personality. Well, yeah, because what, I mean, so, so what does it, how, how, would, how would I get that diagnosis? You would get that diagnosis if you met certain criteria. Things like a sense of uh, you go from naught to 60 in a second. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, there's black and white thinking. You're very extreme in your behaviour. You might be totally pleasant one minute and next minute you're drunk, you know, you're trying to hit someone. Mm -hmm. um, that you have a fear of abandonment, that you're very sensitive to abandonment and feeling attacked. You're very sensitive to relationships. You have a pattern often where there's a lot of destruction in the relationships. Um, you may have had a history of addiction, self-harm, aggression, um, that sort of thing. So even within, again, personality disorder, there's quite a, you know, there's a, yeah, a spectrum within spectrum. it. You know, all yeah. of these things are labels. Yeah. It's just trying to help, yeah. help, help trying to group. Yeah, absolutely. But, it's like, but, but, but that was who your service kind of yes. was, was for. Yeah. And you had, the, there was this sort of therapeutic, well, no, sorry, it wasn't called a therapeutic community, but it was sort of, it was not dissimilar to that, where it was like a sort of, well, it community. was a therapeutic community and the people and we uh, used to call, you know, the first service I worked in was a therapeutic community. But then I think when we had to change and merge, we weren't allowed to call it a therapeutic community. So we called it a day service, a therapeutic day service, yeah. because that seemed to fit better with the sort of management speak that uh, uh, didn't want something to as they saw it, psychotherapeutic. Right. Because this so that's, so that's again, we're already teasing out some of the things, which is that, you know, the kind of treatment that professionals give. Merrin. I've got to turn it off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, <God>. Sorry. <laughs> Let's edit that one out. No, yeah. I, think, I, think, I think we leave that in. So, so there's this like controversy with like what kind of treatment yeah. you give and yes. stuff, which we, I think we'll tease that out. Yeah. What? So one thing I've just remembered is mm. you've also got in terms of like thinking about what you, why this sort of more like, um, it, it, why it's the what, like why it's an environment rather yeah. than like just bringing one person yeah. in. There's like you have that nice like baby, the kind of the baby analogy because I and I think when we talked about it before, you're also like when you're raising a baby. And the baby's like, you know, and she's like, I cry, I get this thing. But actually, but that, if it was just with its care, primary caregiver mm. until it was 10, oh that would be God. a nightmare. Yes, a nightmare. So, like, in terms of with group therapy and, like, t taking people, you know, vulnerable people with personality disorders, like, bring them into it in group environment rather than just giving them, like, 
or well, only one-on-one -on -one stuff? That's a very interesting point though, Rob, because some therapeutic communities thought it was group only and mm. others were individual and group. And I think there is something very much in any sort of treatment that you offer someone about timing. Mm. You know, some people are not ready to face a group. It's like taking a baby to school. Yes. You know, a baby, I mean, isn't you, you ready to You want to warm it up with a bit of you warm yeah, it up it with nursery. Yeah, it needs to have enough individual attachment mm. to be able to then go out and attach to the world. Mm. If they haven't had that, they will struggle even more. Mm. Now, that's not... So, in fact, in our... When we had to merge our services, we did have a debate because one service had only ever done individual uh, group and the other one did individual and group. And we came to a conclusion that it was good to have both. Mm. And one would support the other. But we had to make sure that the individual didn't attack the group because often people would say, I'm not using the group. I'm just talking to my own individual therapist. My therapist understands me, so I don't need to talk in the group. That wouldn't work. Mm. You know, it's like... As you say, you don't want to be 10 and only have your mother in your life. Well, that's the, it's like that. I think that analogy holds up quite well, doesn't it? Because if, you know, if you're, you know, if you're 10 and you're, well, my parent says I'm the best parent in the world, so I don't need anything else. Well, actually, life, you're not going to be only with your primary caregiver. Nor but then at the same you time, you could have a fantastic school. But if you've got, a, you know, really mm -hmm. tough home life, that's also going to be very challenging. So I can definitely yeah. see with that crude analogy to help me yeah, understand it, that it kind of works. Well, look at Ian Wright. I mean, he was, I don't know if you saw his documentary. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was so moving. He's so brave, I thought. But, you know, he had a shit family. He was told, I hate you. I don't know why I had you. His stepfather or whatever would beat him and tell him he was awful and make mm. him stand facing the wall. But his school saved him. Mm. And he had a teacher at school who believed in him. Mm. And it was so moving when they met later oh. and Ian Wright burst into tears. Oh, gosh. Oh, I know. But, you know... Well, go, go, and watch, go and watch that, everybody. Yes, exactly. Because it really shows... I think there's a... I think, unfortunately, there's, there's um, a sort of view maybe held by middle england i don't know you know that we should just all get on with it you mm. know just well, put yourself together stiff up a lip up by your bootstraps you, we never talked about things in my day yeah. you know well unfortunately there were a lot of people who were suffering mm. and i don't th you know and often it, like my passion is like prisons as well you know like don't we want to help prisoners not re-offend? Don't we want to help people understand why they offended? Don't we want the world to be a safer place? It's not a soft option. You know, looking mm. at yourself is Therapy not a soft is, option. Is tough. It is okay, tough. Okay, let's listen. So let's so let's um but let's let's I wanna try and get a real sense for for you know our people listening about how that working sort of week would work. So so okay. so you've got this centre, you were kind of brought in, you were tasked with kind of essentially merging two existing things into one which you sort of did because you ended up creating something well, you were really proud team, of with, with the, the team, team obviously it was brilliant yeah but but you made a system we what did. what did that what did that look like so so i'm a patient what's the working right. okay. week the working what does it, it look like that we ended up with that we were happy enough with because it took a long time and mm. luckily we had our own groups staff group and everything to help us manage our differences um, but this was, in a way, a microcosm, again, mm. of people who had strongly held beliefs having to find a compromise. Mm. And so we ended up with um, the three boroughs, Personality Disorder Day Service, where people would come. They would come 
the doors would open at 9.30, you could, no, 9, sorry, and you could come in, sit in the lovely lounge with the sofas, have cups of tea, toast, whatever, sit around chatting, and then the first group would be at 10, which would be a community group, or it might be art therapy, or it might be psychodrama, depending on what day it was. They came Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, they could come from 9 to 4. They had to be here between 10 and 4. Mm-hmm which is when we closed. And um, there was also a one day a week program for people who couldn't, for whatever reason, manage the three day. And also for people who had done the three day, who were then coming into that one day as a step down for the further six months. So so Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. Full time, basically. Yeah. So now, yeah. why, why, why does it have to be full time? Because, well, we... It was a model that worked. We felt that that was the minimum we should offer. It used to be five days a week in the old service, um, never in the other service. But, um, you know, I think it, that was sort of um, what could we offer that was the maximum, given our resources. And what if you've got, but if you say, so what if you've got a job? Can you not do the program? If you've got a job, you couldn't do it. Um, but some people would do the one day. And then actually some people got um, employers who would let them come for a day or they were on long-term sick and they would do 18 months. We had people who deferred university um, in order to do it, which was a massive thing for them. But we had this lovely, lovely young woman who had a, you know, eating disorder and various things and she said it was the best thing she did because she then went and was very successful at university, whereas if she had done it before... She wouldn't. She probably would have broken down, mm. and her eating disorder would have got worse. Okay, so it's so it's Monday, Wednesday, it's a Friday. Big commitment. It's it's a big commitment. It's a big commitment, but it's it goes so quickly, and you only do it. For, well, we had to compromise. It was a year, and then the six months step down. I mean, it used to be two years, and I think some people needed three, four, five. You know, I mean, you can't get one size fits all with everyone, but most people could get something out of a year. And it was uh, predominantly women. You know, it was representative more or less of the local population places. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had a mix, but predominantly were white and mixed race and black. And then, OK, so and then we've got like, so you tend to four and you've got all these different sessions, right? So you kind of got yes. a mixture of Yes, group. you have a timetable, but you have to do everything. And what, why, what, why is that? If I, because I, because the thought when when I hear to yes. say psychodrama, right, which yes. is where we're going to get into that in more detail, but essentially it's like you sort of act, you kind of act out things. And in my in my head, I'm like, oh I'm not going my there, mate. god! And other people sounds... would say, art. I never could draw. Yeah, no, you know? that that yeah. as well. Yeah. All of that. Why do I? Why do I have to do everything? You have to do everything because you need to use as many opportunities to learn about yourself. Now. You may like some more than others and be naturally drawn to certain things. Like some people love talking for England. Some people hate the small groups where you sit and they never speak. But you have to be there because the hope and the expectation is you have to go in there with an open enough mind to try something. You don't ever have to love it. 
you don't, and I will say later, you know, the way the specialist art therapists and psychodramatists work, you're not forced to do anything. If you don't like art, you can read a magazine and tear it up and stick it on or whatever. And hopefully over time, but you listen, you listen and you watch and you hear and you share what you were thinking when you were sitting there. Mm -hmm. So everything is an opportunity to open up dialogue and thinking. Okay. And what if, the, what if there's a problem? What if, what if I'm in art therapy and I go, fuck this mm -hmm. and I Often throw enough. my magazine yeah. <laughs> At you, yeah. what what do we do? How do we, how do we turn that say, into something very Can you go out and calm down, but come back within 10 minutes? Okay. And if they're creating a bit in the corridor, another member of staff who is in the office would come out and probably just try and help them just calm down. They wouldn't get into much because they would encourage them to come back. Mm -hmm. There's always not, you can't go and knock on the office door and say, I want to see my own therapist. No, they only see them once a week. Mm -hmm. You are then encouraged to go back and try and face it. If you can't for the day, you go home and you come back the next time. Okay. But if, you know, over time and often people just need to calm down a bit, then go back in and then just carry on. And sort of, because I'm a big fan of analogies. Right, oh, yeah, cool. Right, right, and I like the analogies. <laughs> but where, is, is it sort of, it felt, it sounded to me a bit like it's a sort of continuing the sort of development thing. It's It's a bit like a sort of, intimate sixth form is that the right guinea where it's where it's like you your sort of role was like you were kind of like the head teacher where you kind of keep an eye on everything a little bit the patients are kind of the students you've got the staff and mm. but you but but it's but then mm. it's a bit more like the students also have quite a lot of responsibility yeah, trying to help them take more yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and and because it also because then the, you get then you get buddied up as well like you you, you buddied oh, yeah. up yeah when the... so, when someone's new you get a buddy who will look sort of keep an eye on you now obviously some people um, always offer to be the buddy and others never do and you hope over time someone might take it on and that buddy might or might not get on with that person but you know generally the group you know the older men you know there's a sort of hierarchy the elders will sort of chat to you and take you under their wing and show you where to go and things like that but you know about shared responsibility we had a community group on a monday and a friday where people would chair the patients would chair and take minutes and you know i mean in some therapeutic communities you'd have voting you know, so you could vote whether someone, you know, we had a thing about if you're going to be more than 10 minutes late to the first group, you have to ring in and get a vote. Because if, and it, you oh know, God, usually. That brutal. Well, that's what people think. They say, I'm not bloody ringing for a vote. And, but you, the whole point is we hold those boundaries because it's helping people take responsibility mm. for what they're doing. And sometimes people never think about time. They never think about the impact that that has on someone else. Mm. They might have had a really intense group and had quite a challenging interchange with someone the, on the Monday. On the Wednesday, they come in too late. They've missed the whole f sort of bringing in what you're thinking about today. They've missed something. They come in, they jar the group, and it's not fair. Mm. So they either have to get in for the group after with a vote, or they don't come in for the day. God, but you, did, you, did, you, 
Did anyone ever reject people? Yes. Did they? Yes. Oh what? And you were just like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, well, they would only, well, they would do that and we would talk about how we would vote and why we would vote because yeah. we make everyone have to take responsibility for what they're doing. Right. Usually people are like, oh yeah, of course we'll vote them in, of course we'll vote them in. You think, well, hold on, this person has been late every Wednesday. Oh, you steered because it. Because they hate psychodrama or right. whatever. Right, right. Do we want to just encourage that or can we give them a message? Okay. And then we talk about it with them when they come in furious on the Friday. Why did you vote me out? Who voted for me? Who was it? And we said, no, we're not going to say names, although they'd usually find out over tea, yeah. you know. But it was like, did you vote me out? Did you, you know. But it's also, but the 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 boundary is there. I guess also because, like you say, it like brings it into the room, right? It's it then does. so live. Every... You, have to, you have to sort of... Any action you do yeah. as a it consequence has a, meaning. has a meaning. That's the theory. That's the motto mm. of a therapeutic community. Everything has a meaning. Mm. If you happen to forget something, it has a meaning. If you happen to, I don't know, uh, break something at a certain time, that might have a meaning. Mm. Can we think about it? Okay, so, that, so we, I'm getting a sense of like how the service runs and what it was how do how do i like say i'm you know how 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 do patients come into the service and and how do they leave what's that you know because obviously right. the, the the hope is you're affecting change yes. right yes yes and we've done some little posters and stuff which we didn't have a lot of time to do research but you know what we did do did show that there was people who came in were often the people and i'm i would just chuck in that personality disorder was the main um reason for people being referred to us but mm -hmm. we did occasionally have people with bipolar we did have occasionally people who had um sort of uh, had psychosis at times but it wasn't their predominant um and addictions and things like that but as long as they c weren't actively sort of drunk drugged or um self-harming too much although that was a massive issue self-harm was a massive issue and we held boundaries around that that obviously got changed over time and we you know we had to be a bit flexible sometimes so I'm just saying that but um so people would get referred by the the community mental health team that was the only way they could come in and that would often be they would go to a GP the GP would refer to the community mental health team who would do a sort of generic assessment and we have very good relationships with the people there. Often the doctors who worked in there had been junior doctors, um, you know, for six months with us. Placement. And, and how about, so when, say, so I've, I've, I've done the course for, you know, I've done my three-day course. Um, I've, you know, re realising I'm changing oh, okay. my behaviour a yeah. bit. yeah. Sometimes, quite often, you wean down onto the one day a week. Yes, so it's like you sort of. We would expect you to then have some form of activity in your week before you came on the one day. Mm -hmm. So we would be encouraging you. We, if you're just going to go back home and stay indoors, it's not going to help. Mm -hmm. We wanted, but you didn't have to go and get a job. But mm -hmm. you might have to go and do, have. Well, you would have to if you wanted to do the one day course. You had to have something else that you were doing. Right. It might be that you were volunteering in a shop or wherever. You might have gone to work at um, Gatsby Dogs Home. You know, it depends on what you liked, and we helped you. So again, because the whole point is that it's it's to rehabilitate it's, and yes, get people to, to get in back life. into the world. Yes, it's absolutely. not just a because I think it's this not is just a, an internal. 
you know, looking at yourself. Because the classic, like, Tony Soprano sort yeah. of complaining about therapy, what, you know, is that, you know, it's just like sitting in a room complaining yeah. about everything. <laughs> but what you're saying is it's, it really was something that was trying to use change, it, change yes. effect change. Effect change so that it would... Affect, and, of course, there's always a whole degree of, of how do you measure change. If someone now is no longer, you know, like this amazing woman who now no longer slashes her neck, but she just nicks herself a bit. That is massive. Mm. You know, she's no longer saying, I deserve to die most of the time. And her focus, you know, she's working, she's got a good relationship. But this is where the statistics things come, right? Exactly. Because if if we said, is she still self-harming? Yes. Tick yes or no. Yeah. And she is. Yeah. You've not done any change. No, exactly. So, okay. so that... But we have done things where we said... Do you use your GP less? Do you use medication what, less? So, Do you so go I'm, to A and E less? You 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 did a study. Yeah. So which was so your trust in King's College King's College London research teams yeah. conducted research where they showed that patients undergoing treatment at your service mm-hmm. between 2007 to 2013 resulted in an overall reduction yeah. on those same patients going to A and E or relying on community mental health teams. Yeah. So, and they sort of stipulate that it was a small sample size, yeah, yeah. but nonetheless, it was, it was, it's, I think it's a 60%. Yeah. You know, sorry, 60% of patients relied less on yeah. services. And obviously, yeah. within that, it doesn't show how, the, I think, I think they were saying that, like, a, for a lot of that 60%, it was a lot less yes. relying yes. on yeah. other services. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and you've got to be realistic. If people have had 50 years of trauma and you give them 18 months, you know, any reduction is better than none. Mm. And yes, we were more expensive than going to see someone once a week or just taking drugs. But that wasn't working. Mm. The whole point, we saw these people who everyone else had not been able to work with. Mm. So we were seeing the heaviest. And that's why I think we still need it as well as all the other manualised things. So, the sort of tragedy mm. of this of our first episode is that this service got cut yes killed and actually so i'm I not think... bitter <laughs> <laughs> i'm well, not maybe... bitter i'm just passionately upset yeah well so I, I think maybe what i'll what i'm gonna i think maybe let's 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 have a quick break yeah and then maybe in the break we can play some patient testimonials i think it'd be nice if we could okay. hear some yeah. people talking about it and then let's talk about let's talk about the service getting cut. Okay. 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 So we're now going to play you a short uh, clip from uh, BBC Radio 4's All in the Mind uh, from an episode when Merrin was a guest uh, on the show. And in it, you'll hear some of the patients who were at Merrin's service talking about their experiences. Um, some of it is quite heavy, uh, so brace yourselves. But I think it's so important to kind of hear from people who actually use the service. So here we go. I didn't have that much of a great home life. I left my house quite early and then when I was a young adult I went out with this guy and he hung himself. That started a lot of it off and I never got bereavement counselling for that. My son got murdered 
on my birthday, that messed me up. And then because I couldn't cope with that, my kids got taken away from me, all of them. And then why else my kids got taken away from me, another one of my sons died and I haven't dealt with that. So coming here really helps me talk about those things. And why have the people together talking in a group rather than do it individually, particularly as you know that lots of people have issues trusting other people, isn't that just going to be, it sounds so hard. It is, and we do very thorough assessments, but the group settings for me are incredibly therapeutic as well as potentially difficult. People really are challenged about how they come across, how they impact on others as well as how others impact on them. It helps people if you have a safe and trusting environment in which the problems that you have outside come alive, but in an environment where we want to look at that, we want to talk about it, we want to help people manage it in a different way, because often people will either explode with, it, with people they don't like or who say something wrong, or retreat. And what we're trying to do is build up a middle ground between those extremes. The good thing about the group, though, is if you have got a problem, because we're all, we all have similar traits and we can all identify. So I feel sometimes so, so shit or so worthless as a person, this condition, if you like. It has affected my life so much that you feel so alone with it. But the relief I got that other people felt like that as well. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. So we get that in the group. We get to know each other and we can empathise. You've got other people that are like you, so you can talk to people and they get what you're saying. If you're in a mood, they understand. You've got your one-to-one -one once a week, so you can really get stuff out. It's, it's a good talking place. And what sort of changes have you seen in yourself in the two years since you've been here? I don't go from zero to 100 in two seconds. It probably takes about 10 seconds. <laughs> so that's good. And is that because you found some way of controlling <laughs> Yeah, I think more first. I used to be very verbal, but now um, I think before I speak sometimes. So that's just by being here, they've taught me other ways of doing stuff. I just want to be normal. I just want to have a normal day. Know and just know how to just not overcome with emotion and to just be a good mum to my son. Okay, so we're on to the tragic third act, which actually we just we just had a tea break and we were, we were it's, it's it's really sad. Um, so you 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 know you have taken over these two services, you'd merged them, you created something you were really happy with. We've had heard a bit about how it would work and what would happen, and then you got told it had to close. Yeah. What? Why? Why did it close? Oh God. Um because it was too expensive, we didn't see enough people, and each borough was wanting, well, mental health services were going back to borough-based services. We used to take people from all over, actually, from other boroughs, um, other outside London, and they would pay. Um, there was lots of reasons why that 
sort of slowed down, um, which wasn't to do with us really. But anyway, um, so we didn't fit in, although we argued that there were there was a need for some specialist services to stay trust wide. You know, like there was an eating disorder service that wasn't borough based. You know, for people who were intensely in need, and therefore we thought we needed to be there for the minority of people who wouldn't be able to be contained or treated in what they were going to then offer them. So if if playing devil's advocate, mm-hmm. if if we're being brutal, it sounds like. The service was wonderful, mm-hmm. but you know, public health. We've got a limited pot. These people, you know, it's it's horrible that these people mm-hmm. have very difficult conditions. But ultimately, we need to make the best use of money. Mm-hmm. And if this was too expensive and for too few, I can feel you. <laughs> even that, I can feel very intense. But why, 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 well, why we do would you argue not? That it's not the best way because it's a short-term solution to something that will end up costing you more. So so, so, what did they want to change it to? They wanted to change us into a MB, an MBT model. Okay, and, so and what's that? An MBT is Mentalisation Based Therapy, which has been developed by Bateman and Fonagy, who used to work in therapeutic communities, and they decided they developed um, uh, a cheaper, less intense way... Um, that they felt could be manualised and used by a lot of different people to offer to people with personality disorder. And it was based on a lot of um, evidence and research that it was very effective in many ways. However, there were limits to its its application. Wait, before you talk... So, yeah. so, so what's it promised? Mentalisation-based so, therapy. Mentalisation is, what, is a very important concept that we all use... As therapists, the capacity to mentalize comes normally if you have a good enough upbringing and attachment to your caregivers. The baby learns over time to have an awareness that they are someone with their own mind and someone else has their own mind. So over time, you can tolerate thinking, okay, I might feel this but maybe the other person doesn't. They might feel something else. And people with personality disorder often have a real struggle to know how to mentalise. So it's kind of like, it's that it's, it's, sort, it's sort of the Trump thing, isn't it? It's like, I, th- I think yes, it and feel, feel it, it, therefore it's it true. Absolutely. What, Trump is the classic narcissistic personality disorder. But whereas, so, so, so it's that to me, yeah, that sounds it's, bloody great. It is, it MBT is great. sounds great. And we have, and it's cheaper yes, and more effective. What's yes, the problem, Meza? Get over it. <laughs> well, if you let me speak, Rob. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yes, mentalization has been integrated a lot of that thinking. I mean, it comes from psychoanalysis, the whole term mentalization, and it's become a thing, a standalone treatment, which is good. And it can be very effective. And it's one group a week, one individual session a week, and it's for 18 months. So it isn't short, but, um, and it is something that all the team did do the introduction to. And some people were very passionate about and wanting to become MBT practitioners, and we supported them. But we, um, professionals that wanted to keep the TC alive, also believed that that particular 
manualized model would not reach some people who were the heavy end. And that was agreed in a way, but we were told, well, there aren't that many of them, and if they end up being expensive, we'll have to think about it. But we were saying, look, we can predict that some of those people won't benefit from that much input. They won't even come, they won't even engage, and then they'll end up costing you more because they'll end up going to A&E more, and they might get admitted more because they'll act out more. It's sort of, using my school analogy again, it's sort of like you've got a, you know, a school that's sort of, as it were, kind of working, mm. but then the Board of Governors changes mm. and they say, oh my God, how much are you spending on this place? Pastoral care for we the got baddies. To, we got to change it. Mm. And even though all the parents, well, not all the, but you know, there's like a, there's a, there's a division, mm. is, that, is that accurate, yeah. between sort of yeah. parents and yeah. students as to what's, what the best thing is. But what happens is, is it gets changed and we expel all the unruly kids yeah. and we part them off and, yeah. we, and it's not our problem because it's not going to appear on our spreadsheet. So we can produce lots of lovely statistics because essentially we're getting rid of all of the quote unquote problem kids. Well, they'll get rid of themselves. They won't even come probably or mm. they'll tell you all to fuck off in the first session and that'll be it sort of thing. And, and then they'll end up getting admitted and it costs a fortune. All, nearly all the money in the psychiatric service goes to inpatient wards. Mm. And if you admit someone with a personality disorder, it is a disaster. Mm. And everyone admits that, but a lot of people on wards are more used to people with psychosis. And you take your drugs and your psychosis goes away a bit and you discharge them. Mm. With the personality disorders people, they are so hard to discharge mm. because they say, well, I'm going to go home and kill myself. Mm. And, you, you know... You have to have a very secure base of understanding how you manage that sort of risk mm. in order to say, well, I'm really sorry, I hope you don't, but you have to go. Mm. But you also have to offer them something. Mm. And often it's not joined up and people don't know what they can offer and there's a long wait for anything, you know, that sort of thing. So you get people stuck in inpatient units that are mm. costing thousands. Mm. And... I remember also you saying, you know, so when you talk about how the day works, you say you can come at nine, you have a tea and a coffee. Mm. And I and I remember thinking that's so interesting. Mm. And I remember you say, you know, you reckon that if that that time is so valuable. Oh, it right? is. Informal time is just as important in a way because, and I used to work in a drop-in in Westminster years ago as a social worker. And to me, and that, you know, the system tries to set up these sort of less formal things what people are desperate for is human contact somewhere to go to sort of break up the monotony of being isolated but they often throw the least experienced cheapest staff there and that is the hardest time mm. it is the hardest thing to manage and if you don't have specialist sort of theory in your mind about how you manage that time it is really going to be tricky but I'm not saying we were always in the lounge and we did we allowed this you know it was really important because sometimes there'd be a kickoff in the in the thing well, or people would sit in groups and not talk to each other but we'd bring it up in the groups so and because what you were saying is that the the kind of the downtime is so yes is so, so important and the domestic person Sandra god bless her she is wonderful became so much part of the team and, but, and then, so, and, and if something came up, you could, you know, that would then be talked yes. about. I, I think you told me about someone yes. who, 
a, a patient you had who was very lovely. She was very difficult. All of her kids have been taken. Oh away yes, from her. yes, yes, tell, yes. Tell, tell us, tell us about that. There was, is he, there was, there oh, was a moment. Was where it there was about a... the the person who brought the meals? Quite oh possibly. my god, yes. This was incredible because this woman who had been sexually abused, um, terrible life. Uh, all her life had terrible, violent relationships, and so she, you know, I noticed. There was a man coming, a member of staff, bringing the trolley for the meal. And he f made some sort of flirty, sexual approach to her, just in a low-key way. And she sort of, ha, 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 and walked off. Well, I, being a radical feminist, thought, that isn't on. But I, in the group, I said, I noticed that that happened. And she said, oh, yeah. I didn't even think about it. But thinking about it... She said, I always say, laugh it off, because otherwise I'll go fucking mad. And she said, I, I, I'm scared if I don't just acquiesce to everything, that I, you know, will get attacked. And I said, well, that isn't on, is it? And she said, no, it bloody isn't. And then we were able to talk about how she has been used by men, how she just has learnt to just let everything just go past her, take everything on as her problem, and deal with it by sort of ignoring it, making light of it, laughing about it. So I actually went and spoke to this person's manager, and they agreed that they would give him a talking to. So and she was so appreciative because it made her aware that even on a very small level, you might say, we have to. Everything has a meaning. Everything has an impact. So I guess that's that's what you're saying about how it's very difficult. Well, it's it's impossible to recreate that sort of... The, the whole yeah. notion of your service, yes. everything has a meaning. Yeah. Three days yeah. means that you're not always, like, as it were, like, on. No, exactly. And There's these enough. are where the things happen. And that's where a lot of the yes. work happens, So if you actually. only come in for a group, you meet this group, some of it is psychoeducational anyway, for the first bit, and you go away and then you come back next week, you know. You, you don't know what they're like the rest of the time. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, it's that, you, that's what you're very, yeah. you know, with, with your experience, you're, yeah. you know, as confident as anyone can be mm. that something is going to get lost with this yes. newer, cheaper, yes. streamed down, streamlined model. Yeah. And, you and, know, maybe and, that's the kind of... Well, go on, what are you going to oh, say? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying every... Because I've got other people in my team who love MBT and mm. think it's great. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying that I still think for some people it won't work and it isn't enough. And I think it is a loss of that time and space where things get tested out, acted out, reenacted, repeated, repaired, healed. I know... Just you don't have the time, mm. and you don't have the space and the the skilled people there helping you. And I think that's sort of what our pilot really is about, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, in in many ways, the story that you've told us about you know what your service was and what happened to it feels, you know, I imagine to many mm. people listening, mm. feels like a very familiar story mm. that kind of sits in this broader picture mm. of austerity where, yeah. you know, do more with less, yeah. cuts made to streamline services. And from what you're saying, you know, it sounds like actually there's something, you know, we've been we've been skirting around it in this episode of kind of something larger and kind of more fundamental going yes. on with mental health, yes. which is that different specialisations can promise different outcomes for different price brackets. And what that obviously gets us into is 
who are the people that are making these decisions mm. about what kind of treatment exactly. we're going to invest in and provide and even prioritizing certain types of data mm, over, exactly. over, over others. Yes. You know, ultimately your service closed because someone else promised the managers mm -hmm. above you that they could do that, that they could do what you provided, but they could do it better and for cheaper. And they did that by pushing this different all well, this kind if of only it was even that bloody logical, really? you know, I think often it was done for a mixture of messed up reasons. Mm. I mean, I just don't think, I think the problem is there's too, too many competing interests and needs and unclear messages. I mean, although I have antipathy for some over-promoted, inexperienced <laughs> managers, I also, I, I wouldn't do their job. Mm. You know, they're often overloaded with expectation. Change that, change that, change that, do that, do that, meet that, meet that. They don't have time to think. Mm. They don't have time to say, well, hold on, can we think? There's no culture have, of that. They don't have time for a podcast, Mary. No, they don't. And luckily, I do. <laughs> but, you know, there is, you are talking about a massive thing that I think is reflected in wider society as mm. well about this sort of neoliberal society that is reducing everything about us to numbers that are meaningless. Mm. And this is this is so, I think that kind of is a, you know, that's the kind of springboard for yeah, our whole series, is. isn't it, really? That's because that's passion. That's what we want to get into. <gasps> oh, we've kind of cry. seen, we've seen how it all kind of works, but we want to, you know, start really yes. digging deeper and unpicking how these kind of different disciplines yes. work. And I don't want to be bitter and twisted, and I'm not anti-psychology. Some of my best friends are psychologists. I really mean it. No, I know. But it is from a passion of wanting to preserve and develop and grow the meaning of what human distress is and allow all these approaches to mm. blossom. Because that's the key, isn't it? You know, in, term, in terms of just sort of, you know, wrapping this up, what mm. the, the, it's like your therapeutic model that you've had 30 plus years of experience in lots of different disciplines. You know, you and lots of lots of other people, not just you, you know, understand mm. acutely that this new streamlined model, it's not going to work for everyone. And no. it really risks leaving a well, significant number of people. It already is. There's waiting lists mm. for psychotherapy of years, mm. literally years. The list of people who want something longer, deeper, more specialist, more, you know, in a different way, talking therapies, isn't just CBT. Mm. And people who have severe, lasting damage, trauma, need long-term, in-depth specialist therapies. We've done it. Hey! First episode. <laughs> we did it. We recorded it. I just, I feel a bit bad when you say about my service, my this, because I'm just thinking of all the other people in the team and Angel, who was the consultant, you know, it's not... It's not yours. Me. I'm not like I've I've individualised it. Yeah. I'm a bit I'm a Yeah, and I'm, I'm a group person. And you're a group person. It's a group. But hey, I'm I'm the voice. I'm the voice. It's all my responsibility what's Listen. said here. <laughs> uh but and when the, when the podcast becomes a hit. Oh yeah, it's all me. Yeah. It's all you, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> okay, so in our next episode, we're going to explore this conflict within the kind of therapeutic professions further. We're going to try and break down the differences between you know, psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy, 
And we're kind of going to tease out again this sort of central question about how what happens at mm. your and other people's service. <laughs> it kind of really gets right at the heart of some of the big questions mm. surrounding mental health. You know, how do we define a mental health problem? Who defines it? And, and, and who decides how best to treat it. Mm. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Yes, I hope so. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time as we try and make some sense of the madness. Yes! Bye, everyone. Bye. Making Sense of the Madness is an independently produced podcast that's been kept strictly within the family. The producer was me, Rob Thorman. Sound was mixed by Rami Radi. Rami also composed and produced our original music. Sophie Jones designed our cover art. We'd like to thank Ella Jones and Tom Keller for their production support. And Moan and I would like to offer our heartfelt thanks to all our guests across the series.